Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast directly by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. If you become a patron or donate any amount, I'll make sure I thank you on the air and throughout my social media. And on that note, thank you to Gary Hamilton and Diana McLeod. Both of you donated to the podcast, and I really, really do appreciate it. Right now, we're going through a snowstorm where I live in Alberta, and I'm very glad that I can make podcasts at home as my full-time job and not have to drive. So, thank you for helping me support my dream. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok at Bairdo37. Today, we're talking about Fairview, Alberta, a place close to my heart because I lived there for a few years in the 2010s, and I really, really liked it. So, I'm going to talk about it. For centuries before any Europeans ever came through the area, the land that would one day hold Fairview was occupied by the Dene and Beaver people who used the nearby Peace River for transportation, fishing, water, and much more. Through the centuries, they would follow the migrations of the animals and take advantage of the bountiful foods provided by the land. Things began to change around 1792 when noted explorer Alexander Mackenzie came through the area, eventually establishing Fort Fork near present-day Peace River, about an hour east of Fairview today. Only a few years later, Fort Dunvegan was established just to the south of Fairview by the Northwest Company fur trader Archibald MacLeod. He named it for Dunvegan Castle in Scotland. The fort remained under the control of the Northwest Company until 1821 when the company merged with the Hudson's Bay Company following the Pemmican War. At that point, Dunvegan became one of the most important posts in the Peace River region. As a stopping place for York boats along the river, it was a busy place and a profitable fur trade post. That fort was also used to trade with the local indigenous. In 1878, the fort would see its role change when it became the headquarters of the Athabasca region, which resulted in a great deal of improvements in building in the area. This prosperity and its new role, unfortunately, did not last. In 1886, the Hudson's Bay Company changed the headquarters to Lesser Slave Lake, and from that point, the importance of Dunvegan declined until 1918 when it officially closed. The entire site still exists to this day and is designated as a National Historic Site of Canada. Visiting the park, you can not only camp and enjoy the beautiful landscape of the Peace River Valley, but you will also find the restored Factor's House, built in 1877, St. Charles Church, St. Charles Rectory, and a trading post that is open to the public in the summer. I've been there many, many times, and it's a stunning and beautiful place. A few years after Dunvegan shut down, the community of Waterhole sprang up just to the north of the former fur trading post. The community quickly began to grow, but then an event in 1928 would change it forever. When the railroad was being built west from Peace River, it did not go towards Waterhole, but instead went through the Beaver Indian Reserve to a field north of Waterhole. At the time, Waterhole was seen as a thriving community, so it came as a surprise to many when the railroad bypassed it completely. The Edmonton Journal had even reported earlier that year, quote, 
Extension of railroad from Whitelaw into Waterhole country is bringing eager land seekers from all parts of the world. End quote. Unfortunately, by July, the entire community would begin the process of disappearing forever. It was on July 19, 1928, that it was announced Waterhole would be no more, and residents would begin moving the entire community 10 kilometers to the north to the new location of Fairview. All the buildings were packed up onto skids and then pulled by oxen, horses, and wagons to the new site of Fairview. As for the name of Fairview, that comes from an early resident of the area who loved the view that he had from his home, and that name would be applied to the new community. At the same time that Waterhole was beginning, the community of Friedenstall nearby was also slowly growing. And while the community would never grow beyond a few farms, the St. Boniface Roman Catholic Church and Rectory served as the centerpiece for the community. Built between 1920 and 1921, the church also included a convent and a school on its grounds, but over time, those would slowly disappear. And while those have since disappeared, the church itself remains. Located just four kilometers away from Fairview, the church is quite impressive and stands out in the landscape where it can be seen from miles around. Due to its history, the church is also a registered historic resource with the province of Alberta. Soon after Fairview was created, a fire tore through the community, destroying much of what had been moved and built. The fire, which was of unknown origin, erupted while residents were sleeping. Starting in a store, it quickly spread through the wood buildings of the community. When the fire was discovered soon after it started, an alarm was sounded. Residents began to do what they could to slow the fire in its advance through the business section of the community, and a bucket brigade began, but because the new community had no firefighting equipment, there was little that could be done to stop the fire. The fire would soon spread from the store to an ice cream parlor, which also contained the Masonic Lodge on the upper floor. It then moved on to the pool room and barber shop. The only saving grace was that it was a calm night with no wind and that prevented the fire from moving too quickly. Due to the lack of wind and the bucket brigade organized by residents, the Empire Hotel, a general store, and the lumberyard were all saved. The rebuilding of the lost buildings would begin quickly, and it was believed that the fire losses were about $20,000, or about $310,000 today. In 1948, the Department of Agriculture was looking to build a new college in the Peace River region, and Fairview became the ideal place for such a facility. At the time, Fairview's water supply was a concern, so Town Council formed a committee to improve the water supply, raising $50,000 in the community to do so. With that effort, the community was awarded a new agricultural college. Construction began on the school in 1949, and in 1951, the Fairview School of Agriculture and Home Economics opened. In the first group of students who arrived in October of that year, there were 36 enrolled in agriculture and 15 in home economics, with J.E. Hawker serving as the first principal. That class would graduate in 1953. In 1958, a fire broke out in the mechanics building and gymnasium, and while no one was injured, both of the buildings were completely destroyed, and it was believed the college would shut down forever. A huge public outcry followed at the news of the closing, and the school would reopen in 1960 as a result, while a new mechanics building was built in 1962 and a new gym was built in 1964. In 1978, the facility was renamed Fairview College, while also adding an animal health technologist program. It would continue under this name until 2004 when the facility was taken over by Nate and then in 2009 taken over by the Grand Prairie Regional College. One of the most interesting aspects of this college is that it is the only authorized training center in Canada for Harley-Davidson motorcycles. 
I actually spent my first two weeks in Fairview living at that college while I looked for a place to rent. So I have very fond memories of it. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. If you drive south of Fairview to Dunvegan Provincial Park, the most noticeable feature of the landscape is the stunning suspension bridge that spans the river. Before this bridge was built, residents took a ferry across the river, but if that ferry was not running, it meant residents had to drive to Peace River, across the river, and then to Grand Prairie, a journey of three hours compared to just one hour with a bridge. With three suspended spans that total 1,800 feet, the construction of the bridge was no small task, consisting of 509 tons of cables and fittings, 3,300 tons of structural steel, 750 tons of reinforcing steel in the concrete, 26,000 cubic yards of concrete, and 140,000 bags of cement in its construction. The bridge would officially open in 1960 in a huge ceremony. On September 6th of that year, 5,000 people came out to watch as Alberta Premier Ernest Manning opened the bridge, calling it truly magnificent, and stating, quote, You have no one to thank but yourselves. You, the taxpayers, paid for this bridge and made it possible. End quote. Manning then led a colorful parade across the bridge as Flight Lieutenant C.R. Hallowell flew over in an acrobatic display in his T-33 jet trainer. In all, the bridge cost $5 million to build, amounting to about $46 million today. The bridge remains the longest vehicle suspension bridge in all of Alberta, and at the time of its construction was the longest such bridge west of Ontario. Four years after the bridge opened, a girl named Rachel Notley was born in Edmonton. Raised outside of Fairview by her mother Sandra and her father Grant, who is a leader of the Alberta NDP party, she graduated from the University of Alberta in 1984, but her father was sadly killed in a plane crash on October 19, 1984. A tragic event in northern Alberta last night. Six people killed in a plane crash near High Prairie, including the leader of the provincial New Democratic Party, Grant Notley. With a report on that crash now, here is CBC's uh, Newsday reporter Steve Andrusiak. This is the area in which the plane went down around 9 o'clock last night. Search and rescue workers homed in on a signal from its emergency locator transmitter. They had dropped flares, but they saw nothing. This morning, success, but they found only four people alive. Grant Notley was not one of them. One of those least injured was Harry Shaben, Alberta's housing minister. How are you feeling, sir? Just fine, thank you. Will you share a few thoughts with us? I'd prefer not to. 
Well, I think when, when you look at what has occurred, it's a tragedy for the families that have not survived, and, and we're fortunate. I'm with the Shaven family now uh, that uh, Larry was able to come out of it, and uh, he's a bit banged up. Uh, he said he was lucky to be alive, and the family is ever grateful for that, and so are we. In the case of Grant, uh, certainly a, a good member, without any question. One of the better members of the Legislative Assembly, and it's saddened to Sandy and his family, my condolences. In Edmonton, those who survived but were more seriously injured arrived aboard an armed forces Hercules. I think four or five were dead on impact. One guy died about five minutes after. Mr. Notley's passing is much more than a loss for his family. It is a loss for the entire New Democratic movement in this province. For with his passing goes a leader. With his passing, the party is left shattered. As for the progressive conservatives, they have lost two. They have lost one of their most eloquent critics ever. Steve Andrusiak, CBC News, Slave Lake, Alberta. Rachel was informed of the plane crash and she would inform her mother of the news. An activist throughout her 20s and 30s, she would align herself with the Alberta NDP and in 2006 became the Alberta NDP candidate for Edmonton Strathcona in an event attended by federal NDP leader Jack Layton. In 2008, she would be elected to the Alberta legislature for the first time. And in the 2012 Alberta provincial election, she had the highest share of the vote of any MLA in Alberta. In 2004, she became the leader of the Alberta NDP party. And one year later, on May 5, 2015, she and her party ended four decades of progressive conservative rule in Alberta when she won the election and became the second female premier of Alberta with a huge upset victory that saw the party pick up 50 seats to finish with 54, forming a majority government, while the Progressive Conservatives lost 61 seats in a total collapse. I don't know, I think, I think we might have made a little bit of history tonight. <laughs> Friends, I believe that change has finally come to Alberta. Now, you know, Albertans are gracious people, and tonight I want us to be gracious because I want to begin by talking a little bit about my colleagues in this election. My friends, thank you. I've just spoken to Premier Jim Prentice. Now, Jim Prentice has served our province in many roles for many years, at the provincial and at the federal level, in government and in business. And I want to thank the Premier for the enormous contribution that he has made to our province. For the next four years, she would lead the province during a time when oil prices were falling and Fort McMurray suffered a massive fire that resulted in the largest wildfire evacuation in Alberta's history, while also being the costliest disaster in Canadian history. In 2019, she and the NDP would be defeated by the new United Conservative Party, led by Jason Kenney. She would continue to lead the NDP in Alberta, and will do so in the next election, and at the time of this episode, her popularity was far above that of Jason Kenney, who many felt had done a poor job of leading the province, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
In 2017, a plane took off from the small Fairview airport in a special event attended by 1,000 people from across Canada. It was the flight of the Canso Patrol bomber that was used in the Second World War to hunt enemy planes and then fought forest fires in the Canadian North for years before it was left broken down and deserted on the shores of an Arctic lake. Beginning in 2007, a group of Fairview farmers got together and rescued the plane from its grave where it had sat since it crashed in 2001 and they began to restore it. The process to get the plane was not an easy one, involving hauling the plane off the frozen surface of the lake, down the Dempster Highway using a tractor and snowcat machine, then to the Mackenzie River where it was put on a barge and shipped to Hay River Northwest Territories. It was then put on a trailer with its wings removed and driven to a farm south of Fairview. For the next decade, they would work constantly to rebuild the plane and make it airworthy. I visited that farm in 2012 and it was actually really cool and I actually got to sit in the plane and see as they were restoring the entire thing. The process took thousands of hours of work and the plane had been built in 1943, one of 620 built in Canada and upon its restoration it was one of only 12 worldwide that were still airworthy. On hand for the big event was James McRae who flew the Canso during the war. Don Wiebin, one of the six farmers who restored the plane would say, quote, I think the airplane has won our hearts as well, over the years and I think it did well before we went and got it. There was just something about it that just didn't deserve to stay there. She deserved to fly again." End quote. The plane now sits as a flying museum showcasing the 75 year history of the plane and defending Canadians at home and abroad. started its life in 1943. It was built in Cartierville, Quebec. So it's a Canadian-built plane, a heritage plane. The purpose was that these young men at the time would fly out over the Atlantic. They would find the convoys. They would uh, uh, escort them along. And if there was uh, any sign of enemy subs, they were capable of attacking that sub. They had depth charges. They had anti-aircraft guns on board. Uh, and, they, and as well as doing search and rescue if there were down planes or people in the water. So there's only 12 airworthy ones remaining today worldwide. Ours will be number 13. When I flew that plane, there were nine of us, nine of us in the crew. And everybody, in addition to doing their job, was looking for a submarine. Flew just like a council. Very heavy on the controls, and uh, compared to a modern airplane, it's like a dinosaur. She's beautiful. Just flies, just uh, like a dream. If you would like to learn more about the history of Fairview, then the best place to go to is the Fairview Pioneer Museum. This 10-acre parcel of land just north of Fairview is in the process of becoming a living history town site that includes the restored McDonald School, Hull House, the John Sweeney Cabin, and the Fairview Agency's building. In addition to these buildings, there are exhibits that highlight the RCMP history of the area, 
the history of the world wars, a display of hospital equipment, indigenous history, and antique sewing machines, musical instruments, spinning wheels, vintage clothing, and cameras. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Fairview, Alberta. If you did, please leave a rating and review. On Saturday, we're looking at the Great Depression. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.